0: Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars,
1: law pay. Law school is hard, but it's easy compared to practicing law. People often don't realize that until they're living it, says Michael Onsbach, an Ohio lawyer who's in his first year of practicing law and his eighth year of sobriety. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward. And on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, we'll be talking about how he's managed stress his first year out and new practices he's found to replace some of the old ones that weren't working. Michael, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Stephanie.
1: Yes. So you are a litigation associate, right?
0: That's right. Yes, I practice civil litigation on the defense side.
1: Tell me about your first year.
0: Well, I practice with my father. Um, I grew up watching my dad practice. He's got about 45 years of experience, and uh, I have the privilege to practice with him uh, in his, the later years of his career. What he has done his entire life is um, civil litigation on the defense side, for railroad for a while, and then we have done exclusively, on our end anyway, nursing home defense for about the last 10 years. Um, so that's what, that's what my whole first year has been, uh, defensive long-term care facilities. And I also had the opportunity two summers while I was in law school to, uh, get my first taste of it. And along the way, um, I just found myself loving the experience, loving the hands-on opportunities I was given, um, that I was seeing not as many of my peers having the same opportunity. So I wanted to take, uh, take the chance to, to get more of a hands-on uh, by practicing with my dad uh, back here in my home city of Toledo, Ohio.
1: Okay. But at the same time, when we've had earlier conversations, the first year has been hard in terms of always needing to be available and the, thinking about just the consequences of a mistake, whereas before you're an attorney, it's just about you for the most part, right? But now you have clients can you talk to me a little bit about both of those things?
0: Sure. Well, in law school, you feel pressure to succeed, uh, but it's really a selfish endeavor because the success is purely based on ranking and scores and, and grades and that sort of thing. And at the end of the day, if you don't reach your ultimate goal, nobody really gets hurt. You know, um, there, there's nothing riding on your shoulders or no person or. Um, any entity in our case, most of the time. What I found was when I got to the practice of law, every action or inaction suddenly takes on a much greater consequence. Uh, because I'll just talk, for instance, my first deposition I took a couple months ago. Um, whereas objectively, maybe an onlooker would think, well, you did well, you know, that was great for your first time. I'm leaving thinking, oh, gosh, I really hope I didn't cost the client this and this amount of money. I hope I didn't lose this the case. Did I say something wrong? All these things that all of a sudden you're realizing this practice is really the defense of others. And you have to learn to be unselfish in it. And that it's a lot more daunting. So I started to experience that.
1: And some of that, do you think, is just the anxiety that maybe some people have. It's like, if you tend to have anxiety, it's like, oh, did I do something wrong? That's a, like a fear right away, right?
0: Yes, yes. And I do, um, I am, I guess, prone to it in a way. Um, mm-hmm. I guess to describe myself, much of my success, if you will, in law school is this drive for a perfection that's really unattainable. And as a result of this drive for and the striving for perfection you feel worry and anxiety and stress in not ever being able to reach it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I do notice that many people who are lawyers who are type A like myself do experience similar things. I've had talks with some of my associates actually, who may even have it worse than I do in some instances, but we all seem to have that similar kind of feeling. Um, And for me, my ability to deal with anxiety, stress, and those sorts of things used to be coped with by using drugs and alcohol and other substances, which mm-hmm. led me to having to find other other means of dealing with it.
1: And you mentioned that you work with your father, and he's done this for so long. Sometimes parents can be very stressful, even when they don't realize it. Um, I, I wanted for you to talk a bit, what's it like working with your father? And if you, can, if you don't mind, just kind of telling his story as well, because I think the two of you have a very interesting story.
0: Well, thank you. yeah, he would appreciate us talking about him, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> he, uh,
0: he uh He is well known as a as a trial attorney. It is daunting because when I started this work, well I guess before I even decided to come to the firm, I spoke with many attorneys in the area and asked, "Well, you know, I could go work for Dad, or I could go and shoot for the moon at some you know five hundred attorney firm and work eighty hours a week and do that sort of thing." And what I got consensus across the board about was, if you get any opportunity to work with your dad, you have to do it. And so already there, there's a shadow, because there is, you know, this 45 years of experience and doing very well at what he does. I'll go back to that same first deposition I took. He asked me right before the deposition, do you think it's easier or harder for you knowing you're going to take this deposition with me sitting next to you?
1: Oh, so you went to the dep with him. He let you drive
0: yes, yes, yes no i was I was taking the deposition. It was the first time I was actually taking it. I'd sat in on multiple depositions with him before before I got to the point of being able to actually be the questioner, but of course, he's there making sure if I miss anything, and there would we'd take breaks and he'd have notes and say, "Make sure you hit this, make sure you get that uh, but of course, that does add a level of stress and I will say generally in my family there there have been um eras. Uh, if you will, of of preceding generations of successful people. And so there's always been this sort of shadow. But as it pertains to just this practice, uh, my dad casts his own large shadow. Uh, And to speak a little bit more about his story, and I know uh, he would not have a problem with me sharing this as he's been open about it in the past, and including uh, in the EABA Journal article that you wrote, he as well has struggled with alcohol issues. Um, And he's got, I want to say, 14 years sober now. But I remember being young, being in the household with him and then seeing the difference in uh, his demeanor, both as a lawyer and as a father, um, when he was sober and when he was not. And I can tell you, as as most probably would uh, with alcoholics, we are better human beings when we are not drinking because it affects not just the personal life, but of course, the work life and everything into that.
1: I think one of the things for adults who can cause you stress with parents is it's hard to tell them if they're being annoying or telling them to stop it's hard to put in boundaries with your work relationship with your dad can you tell him I guess or vice versa is you know stop doing this, you're bothering me or you know I need to put up a boundary do you guys how has that worked out um
0: it's been interesting in Gosh, how should I say? I don't think we've, (laughs) we are very, we're very open individuals, both of us. Um, Mm -hmm. And we can both be honest about, about those sorts of things. I think the hard thing, the hardest thing for me, honestly, in this is I would love like just strict objectivity as it pertains to my practice. But I always have this lingering feeling in my head that he's my dad. So he's going to think I'm better than I actually am. So any praise I get is really coming from dad, not from... Uh, Mm -hmm. partner who's overseeing my work. Um, Otherwise, our our ability to communicate is generally pretty good. And I actually probably overstep boundaries uh, a few times as it pertains to knowing my role. This morning, he actually, uh, he made the joke that now the tail is wagging the dog. Uh, So Mm -hmm. yeah, so things like that do definitely come up.
1: Do you call him dad in the office or by his first name?
0: I do call him dad. Um, Ah. And the interesting thing is, when I first, when I was clerking my first summer, I wasn't sure what to do. And a few of the uh, other people in the office said, he's your dad. You should be calling him dad. It sounds weird when you call him anything else. So dad actually signs off his emails, bob slash dad, when it's directed to me and other people.
1: I see. <laughs> well, that, it's, yeah, not like people wouldn't know. That's right. So when we had talked before, you said that there were some problems you had in the winter, in terms of stress of the practice and, you know, finding ways to be comfortable in your lives. Can you talk about that a bit and how you handled it?
0: Yes. I want to say that I think first I I deal in extremes. Uh, Many alcoholics Mm -hmm. do deal in extremes. And I was dealing with the extreme of trying to be the best in many different areas. And that included hitting the most hours of anyone. Um, so I was creating a lot of stress in my life. I wanted to be here seven days a week in the office. I wanted to show everyone. I think a part of being dad's son is that I'm not just dad's son. I have worth beyond that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So there was that added stress that kind of culminated in what happens is for me, I will create all this, uh, disturbance and distraction in my life. And sometimes that includes with work, you know, if I'm just doing, 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 I'm never looking at me. And then what happened was around December, judges are going on vacation, attorneys are going on vacation, no one wants to work around the Christmas holiday, you know, and work slows down, like noticeably slows down. And for the first time, that speed started to slow down a little bit, and as that happened, I was noticing this emptiness inside. Because mm-hmm. this is a wonderful profession, but if is uh, one of my one of the professors who helped me start the org for student well being at Marquette. He would constantly um, refer to Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita and talk about one should work for the sake of the work itself, not for some outcome and not for some ends. And even uh, in a Kantian way, uh, one should act for the means rather than the ends. I was acting entirely for the ends, and in that you're losing the moment, you're losing yourself. And I think in that I I Discovered a depression I hadn't felt in a while.
1: Hmm. And so how long did it take you to acknowledge it? And what did you do?
0: The The hard thing for me sometimes is reflecting on and saying that something's not working that's been working for a while. For instance, yoga and meditation has been a constant part of my life for a few years. And that was consistent throughout it. I think the most important thing for someone in a situation where you're realizing this new experience isn't serving me is, uh, I think, for me, flexibility, saying I need to incorporate new things. Um, the first and foremost was something that I left behind coming from Milwaukee. I had a, a therapist, I was seeing some someone I saw on a, a weekly, uh, sometimes every two weeks, um, and it was getting back into that.
1: So you would just do um, like phone Sessions or Skype? It, this is not with him. I found a new one in Toledo. Oh, you found uh, a new which, one. I see.
0: Yes. Yeah. With, with uh, someone who, I think, I think many alcoholics, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, we have relational issues. And so I'm always looking for someone who can help me deal with how do I, how do I deal with all relationships in my life, be they uh, romantic, be they work, be they friends. And actually, it's, it, I, I want to find someone who's practical. Uh, For instance, I was having an issue with one of my paralegals and I went to him and I said, I don't know how to talk to her. I don't like there's this block between us. And as a result of it now, you know, the work is suffering because I'm doing work that I think she should be doing and and on and on. And we sat there for a half hour during that session and he talked about this is the way you approach her. This is the first thing you should say, you know, acknowledge her side of things. And then you'll be able to speak your mind. And I did that the next day, and we have a great working relationship now. Uh, mm. But things like that, like practical tools.
1: I see. And it sounds like he probably helped you see yourself maybe in a way others see you or see, see things about yourself that you didn't realize you had. That's right, yeah. And even
0: guiding me through what otherwise are fearful and difficult experiences, um, and no, and yes, helping me to find in myself, my you know my own metal, uh, if you will, in terms of dealing with certain people, things, and what have you.
1: And you had also said that as a condition for being admitted to practice, you need to go to a certain amount of 12 set meetings weekly. Correct?
0: That's right. I was already going to meetings i already when i was in milwaukee and uh, i contracted with the ohio lawyers assistance program to go to two meetings a week um, i was already involved with the program but i will tell you that there are certain times where you think i can go a week without a meeting i can go a week and just do my one meeting Um, and what being contracted did was it really it held me accountable sometimes I, i have trouble holding myself accountable which is why i ask people I give people what I would call spiritual consent to take my inventory, and usually that's Mm -hmm. a sponsor. But I gave that consent, in this case, to the Ohio Lawyers Assistance Program to help hold me accountable. It's not as much that they're holding me accountable. I look at it, yes, they are, but more as they help me to hold myself accountable. Yeah, And that was was very helpful. Um, I, I had a friend in Milwaukee as well who he was contracted with the Wisconsin Lawyers Assistance Program. And as a result of that... He had less time sober than I did, and so he had a more rigorous uh, monitoring program. But he is well-graduated sober. And to this day, more than a year out, he continues to be sober.
1: We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Michael is going to tell us about how learning to ride a motorcycle, which is something he's always wanted to do, has helped to manage the stress of practicing law. We'll be right back.
0: Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39%
1: faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client
0: payments online, via email, or in person, no equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com slash podcast to sign up and get your first three months free.
1: And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Michael OnSpock. He's an Ohio lawyer who's in his first year of practice, and he has eight years of sobriety. So, Michael, tell me about your motorcycle riding this year and how learning that skill has helped you with your stress levels of practicing law.
0: Sure. It was, in my early sobriety, I read the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert uh-huh. Um It was a book written in the early 70s. And the way he described the motorcycle experience as being connected with everything around you, you were kind of moved into the present. And you can be one with your thoughts or not. And I, I had since then, since 2011, at least, been interested in pursuing it, at least getting on one, seeing what it, what it felt like. And around the same time, I was trying to pull myself through this depression, if you will, for lack of a better way of stating it. I said, I'm going to do this now. I need something more than the, the seated meditation because I would get home at the end of the day and try to sit. And the anxiety and the energy and the adrenaline from work just caused me more anxiety trying to sit with my eyes closed even as someone who's been doing this a long time. So I had never ridden a motorcycle, uh, but I decided this was something I would do, including taking the safety course, in my case, through Harley-Davidson, four-day course. And you get on, and it is very scary. It's harder than you think in terms of you know, this, this machine, and it's, of course, uh, there's a lot of fear involved with it. But part of it was uh, wanting to make something my own, so much of my life has been, you know, like I said, working with, uh, well, my, my lawyer life, working with dad, and I wanted something that was sort of mine. And as I did it, I realized that what Robert Peirceg was writing about in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance was close to the experience, but it's so much more. Because I was actually, for the first time in since starting this practice, being able to not shut off the mind because you're not shut off. You're actually very connected with everything. You're actually hyper aware. You're using all four of your extremities. You're balancing the left and right hemisphere of your brain. And you do feel this. You almost feel like your autonomic nervous system uh, is sort of relaxing, even in this like sort of anxiety of getting on it. But once you're on it and you're moving, it was, quieting the mind and when you're on it and all those things that you think about during the day are having do the next day got to get this motion written have to respond to discovery have to prepare for this deposition all those things that are going on in your mind when you put on the helmet and you get on the motorcycle it's almost like you breathe for the first time and you say how much of that really matters in the grand scheme of things and for it wasn't until I did that that actually, and that would have been March, March and April of this year, that I can truly say, I can look back on it and say, that's when all the heaviness of the profession sort of started to melt away. There's a book uh, called The Unbearable Lightness of Being. I really like it. I love the way it describes how there's heaviness and lightness. And my experience in this profession has been the heaviness you experience can lead to the depression that I was feeling. And it's almost like that motorcycle helped pull me out into the lightness of life again and say, yes, you are responsible for someone's well-being to some extent. Yes, you are responsible for acting on someone's behalf and defending them to the extent you are able. And there is, of course, heaviness in that. But at the end of the day, the motorcycle makes you question, like, what's really important? You know, and you kind of say, it's a job. I will do my best at the job. And when I'm on this and when I'm experiencing this moment, it's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. And that's, that's what that's done.
1: What kind of motorcycle did you get?
0: I bought a 2014 1200 Custom, Harley-Davidson. Which ah. is funny because actually when I was in Milwaukee, all three years, I was certain I would not leave Milwaukee without finally getting the motorcycle. And then, of yeah, course, I leave don't you and I to you explain that to people if they don't
1: know? Because Harley-Davidson is based in Milwaukee, right? Harley-Davidson is based in Milwaukee.
0: Um, yeah. You know, Even, even Governor Walker um, was known to get on a motorcycle from time to time. It's part of the culture there. Um, it's part of the life there. And everywhere you go, you know, even at the airport, they have a Harley Davidson shop with a Harley sitting outside of it. And uh-huh. it's it's everywhere. And part of it was, though, part of the reason I never pursued the motorcycle beyond just thinking about it was, well, now I have to go get licensed again. I have to do another driving test. I have to get on a machine mm-hmm. that I've never worked, and I don't even know which side is the clutch on. Where's the throttle? And it's a learning thing. And at that time, being in law school, I was like, I don't have time to to pursue that. So I can't say it surprises me. I left without getting one, but then coming back to Toledo, there was not going to be another one. I'll say that way. Um, and her name is Sabrina and <laughs> you do have a, it's almost like riding a horse. My mom rode horses. My mom, uh, uh-huh. grew up riding horses and, uh, I've been, oh, on so you don't horses, want to bounce.
1: But, right. You want to yes, stay you with want to it and follow it. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. and, you, the horse feels you. The horse can mm-hmm. almost tell what you're thinking. The horse can feel your stress. And I have been on, when I've been riding, I know that bike can feel me. And that's part of like Zen than in the art of motorcycle maintenance is kind of like this, um, this connection between the machine and living life. And there is this sort of, it's interesting because it shows you a lot about yourself. If I'm stressed, if I'm anxious, if I don't let that go, I can feel the way the bike rides. I can feel the way I'm not riding as smoothly or as, in, um, as loosely as I need to to allow it to do its thing. Slightest movements, tight tension in the mind causes tension in the body, causes tension in the motorcycle riding. Uh, so it actually is it's something that's helped me to reflect on my stress level um, as I've been riding.
1: I think that sometimes people in recovery will call themselves adrenaline junkies and are looking for activities that can get their adrenaline up, but are not addictive and are fairly healthy. Has that kind of been a good thing with you with the motorcycle as well? Do you like adrenaline?
0: That's a good question. I've never really. I, I we just went to Cedar Point, which is uh it's a it's a roller coaster park just an hour away from where I live in Sandusky. It's America's roller coaster, and I. I I look at reflecting on it. It's like, oh, there is a part of me that like enjoys that adrenaline rush. I went with a friend who didn't necessarily, but he was nice enough to get on for four of them with us. Um, (laughs) But to me, I just, I feel like, oh, everyone must be into that. Almost like the way when I got sober, I imagined everyone drank to get drunk. That's the way I I was like, why else would anyone drink? Um, Mm -hmm. So same thing here. It's like, well, why wouldn't everyone be into these adrenaline fixes? It just seems like it, it does feed something. Um, but, but to be honest, the adrenaline part of the motorcycle, as you become more comfortable with it, it does wear off. Um, Mm. but what hasn't happened is the effect it has on the anxiety and stress and the ability to bring me into the present. Um, I think the more you do anything like that, the adrenaline effect does become less.
1: Well, and also didn't it give you the ability to not be tied to your phone? Because you can't be tied to your phone while you're writing.
0: That's a great point. And that was actually one of the reasons why I thought, well, this is great. Because when I was editor-in-chief of the Law Review, that's probably where, even before the practice of law, I look at that and I had the same kind of seven-day weeks. you know, And it was mm-hmm. authors and uh, 2Ls and people on the board, constant emails coming in. And in the evenings when I get off of work, If I get that email at 630, I almost feel compelled to respond. I don't feel like I'm able to let it go. And actually, many of my peers in Milwaukee who are at those really big firms, they have policies that says, if you get a message, you have 30 minutes to respond. Um, Mm -hmm. Thank God I don't have anything like that. But it has. I've had to leave the the phone at home. Well, what I'll do is I will put it on silent in my pocket because I want to have it with me, but it doesn't come out while I'm writing. It doesn't come out while I'm writing. And that has been, that has truly been unplugging, if you will, has, has been huge because so much of it, I find myself, uh, you know, going to bed and I've got that, the screen in my face and running through emails and, and the whole deal, it seems to just become another appendage really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, that's everything we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experiences with us today.
0: I'm happy to do it anytime.
1: Great. And listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please find and rate us in Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journals Asked and Answered.